Friends and brethren and sisters, our theme is, therefore, what manner of person ought we be? And tonight's talk by Brother Chris will be on humility. Brother Chris has asked that we do two short readings to introduce this talk of, of humility. And Brother Sam Mansfield from the Enville Ecclesia will read to us from Luke. Luke 17, verse 7 to 10. And then chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Thanks, Brother Sam. So we'd be pleased to ask Brother Chris come forward and speak to us on, therefore, what manner of persons ought we be, and particularly on humility. Thank you. Well, good evening once again, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll remember that we are first class on Monday morning on uh, forgiveness, and I, I may have mentioned as we were concluding that uh, initially this evening I, I picked this uh, topic as we was grouping together the parables under different themes, and it seemed that the, the two parables that we had read tonight, the one of unprofitable servants and the one here of the, the public and the Pharisee, were, were really about humility, and that's certainly going to be our, our, um, our main theme but we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, forgiveness again, and it'll be some nice bookends uh, on our study, uh, for this is our, our last study in the series that we've been looking at. Uh, hard to believe that, uh, that we're here already on, uh, on this evening. And I originally was going to do them in the order of, of that, the unprofitable servants and the, and the Pharisees and the publican, but we've, we've reversed that order. So we're going to begin in chapter 18, uh, with the parable that uh, was, was read for us there at the end, uh, from chapter 18. And before we start at the beginning of the parable, I'd like to go to the, the last thing that Sam read for us tonight. And that's the second half of verse 14, where it says, Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Do you remember we saw that the other day, that this is one of the, 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 the axioms, one of the divine principles, the reversal principle. And I just wanted to draw your attention to that because that's really what it's all about. If we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. And, and that may have to wait and ideally will wait until the kingdom age. And so it's, 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 a, um, it's a lifetime of humility. <laughs> that's what we've been called to. And looking forward to that time when we will be exalted. If, if we in our, in our endeavor to, uh, to, to build ourselves up, to, to exalt ourselves, if that's our, sort of the way we do our business in life, if that's our, uh, our way of life is one of exaltation of self, then all we have to look forward to is, is a humiliating experience at the judgment seat. And we spoke about that a little bit yesterday. So let's have a look at this, uh, at this parable. <clears throat> And, and this is one, we don't have to go too far back into the, the context because we're told why Jesus gave this parable. And it's here in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That's the context of this parable that he tells of a publican, a Pharisee and a publican. And although it's in, par in parable form, I'm sure there were people in the audience that could relate to this on both accounts. Perhaps he'd heard prayers like this in the temple. Perhaps he'd read the minds of those publicans as they were there on the periphery, on the outcast. They'd been, they'd been left out of the picture. 
and he'd heard their prayers as well. So that's the reason that this prayer was given. And right in that very verse, brothers and sisters, right at the beginning here, I think we can see something very, very powerful. You have to understand what, why it is that the, this principle of exalting yourself will, will cause um, abasement and vice versa. Look at the, the power of that verse that we have there. The main problem, brothers and sisters, with self-righteousness, amongst many issues that it would bring into your life, is that you have to despise others. It's a necessary part of, of, of puffing yourself up and building yourself up. You must look for others to put down. It's the only way. Remember, we looked at that earlier in, in the week that, you know, it's unwise to compare yourself amongst yourselves because we'll always look for someone who's in a worse situation than us and, and make ourselves feel good. That's exactly what it says there. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. Trusting in self. Just put something there in Luke 18. We're going to flip around a little bit more tonight um, and go back to Job chapter 40. This was an interesting verse that, that sort of just jumped out at me, actually, as we were reading through the, um, the, the readings uh, as we came to the close of, of last year. Uh, and Job chapter 40, when God is speaking to, to Job, and I don't want to get into a dissertation of Job, but there's a really interesting verse here in verse 8 of Job chapter 40. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment, says God? Will you condemn me that you may be righteous? And, and that's in a sense what this, this Pharisee was, was doing. He, he wouldn't have seen it that way. He thought he was exalting God in some way, but it was really all about him. And by despising that publican that was there, he was despising God's dealings with people. And, and if it's put in those terms, maybe it just hits a little bit closer to home. Do we in our way of thinking, our way of behavior, could we ever be accused of condemning God so that we might be right? A little bit like the, the, unjust, uh, the unjust steward, the unfaithful steward who, who marked down the things of God, cut down the bill that he might feel better or, or some of his, of his friends. How could you condemn God to make ourselves righteous? That certainly is being self-deceived, isn't it? And, and you can see here the Pharisees in, in Christ, how many times did they deride the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect man? But they couldn't see it. And, uh, and, and in a sense, therefore, were, were disannulling God's judgments. Over into the, uh, the New Testament here, just to show you how wide-ranging this, this theme is. Over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, I had a little chat with, uh, with Brother Tech this afternoon as we were uh, looking over our notes for tonight. So I have on good authority that this is a nice little tie-in for the studies you've been looking at with, uh, with him, which unfortunately I don't get to hear. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Paul, writing through the inspiration of the Spirit, says, We had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, not trust in ourselves. Unlike this Pharisee or these people that Jesus was speaking to who did trust in themselves. So we can't trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. And Brother Tech has been speaking about deliverance. And... Uh, he told me to suggest or to, to point out to you that you were looking at Exodus chapter 15, which is really a triumphant song of deliverance from Egypt. And here in 2 Corinthians 2, sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 
um, is a, is a, is a, it's based on the Roman triumphal procession where there would be those who had been taken prisoners who had a sentence of death upon them. And others, the victors who, uh, who, who had been delivered through that, that, that victory. And so a nice little connection there. So we can't trust in ourselves to deliver ourselves. We were talking about that with the youth today. You know, you, got the, you, you can't finish that tower. You can't win that war on your own. You're going to need help. And we have to trust in, in God to deliver us. So there were certain in, in, the, in the crowd that Jesus was speaking to who, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Um, it actually was an issue for, for the Jewish people who had been given so much. They, they thought that they were, there was something special about them, that the oracles had been delivered to them, that, that they were blood relations of Abraham. And, and, and they lost perspective because of it. But here in Romans chapter 10, uh, through the Spirit again, Paul writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them the record that they have a zeal of God. Perhaps even like that, that unjust steward. There was maybe a zeal, but it was misdirected. It wasn't according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. And here's the great irony, brethren and sisters. If we exalt ourselves, if we, if we go to great lengths to, to establish our own righteousness, we miss out on God's. We have to trust in God. We have to submit ourselves to God's righteousness. Brothers and sisters, God is not impressed with some sort of external compliance to ritual. That was the problem with the, the Pharisaical mind, with the, the, the Jewish mind in the days, days of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not impressed with that if there's no inward sincerity. And I couldn't help but think of that passage in Malachi, and, and I was just going to allude to it, but let's flip over to it. It would be worth taking the time to go there. Malachi chapter 1. You know, compliance to rituals and externals, if that's our focus... The problem is we'll start to think that we're something special, that we're actually um, getting God in our debt, that he owes us something. And in the whole process, we, we have to despise others because we have to build ourselves up. But look at this here in Malachi chapter 1, well-known passage, uh, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. God says, if I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? O priests that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised your name? They were, they were ignorant of it. They'd, they'd, they'd lost that. They were, they were deceived into their own, you know, they thought it was okay, all the, all the sacrifices they were bringing, all the, the things that they were doing. But, but it was an abomination to God. You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted uh, polluted thee, and that ye say the table of the Lord is contempt, contemptible. He offer the blind for sacrifice. Is it not evil? Ye offer the lame and the sick. Is it not evil? Offer it now to your governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? Saith Yahweh of hosts. So we have to think about, you know, what, what attention to, to sort of external details. And uh, here, uh, certainly for the, for the Jews, even, even if they offered the, the lamb without blemish, unlike these ones here, it was just externals, and, and, and they didn't appreciate that they, that was all really about them and a change that they needed inside. And so with that in mind as a background, uh, back in Luke chapter 18, 
Jesus says this parable, the following parable, because there were certain there that were trusting in themselves and despising others. And so we read the parable, starting in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Brothers and sisters, there's two again. There's ever only two. There were two sons that were lost. There were two types of stewards, as we ended last night. And here we have two men. And we ask ourselves, which one are we? Which one are we? There's, there's only ever two. And in this case, it was a Pharisee and a publican. And they're in the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood in verse 11 and prayed, I love the way this is word, worded, prayed thus with himself. He might as well have been praying to himself. Oh, it was a prayer to God, but you wonder who his God was. If you've got your colored pencil, you might want to color in the eyes. This guy had a, an, a problem with his eyes, capital eyes. I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. It's all about him. And it's so easy to see in this, this little parable that Jesus is teaching. But how often are our prayers like that? It's, it's really all about us. How often is our form of worship really all about us? You'll notice how in the parable the, the, the Pharisee despises the other men. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty bad list. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers or even as this publican. I would suggest to you he didn't have a clue who that publican was. But he had judged him because of his profession, because of his dress, because of whatever. He wasn't one of the inner circle of this, of this Pharisee. Notice his own checklist for himself. I did this, check, check, check. Now God owes me something because I'm such a great guy. That's his, that's his attitude. And again, I would suggest to you the, the real challenge, brothers and sisters, is the fact that we, we look at others and despise them, if this is our attitude. And perhaps it's just important for us to, to flip over to, to Romans chapter 14. It's pretty important, brothers and sisters, that we see that that, that kind of comment, condemnation, I'm not even like that publican, I'm not as bad as him, he's, he, you know... I, He's an adulterer. He's an extortioner. He's unjust. I'm not like that. If we get that kind of mindset amongst ourselves, it's, it's going to be disastrous. Romans chapter 14 says very clearly, verse 10, Why do you judge your brother? Why do you set at naught thy brother? It's the word despise. Why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Wasn't that lesson we saw yesterday in the, the unjust steward? We're going to give account. Us. Well, you individually. Me individually. So we can't be judging one another. We can't be, be making the sort of comments that this, this Pharisee is making of the, of, the, of the publican that's standing with him. And, of course, the, the beautiful irony is, is Jesus tells you which one goes home justified. So we can't condemn each other. Oh, we can help each other. We can rebuke each other. We, we must. But we can't judge one another in this condemnatory way of this Pharisee. 
And so back in, in Luke chapter 18, we have the, the other individual. Verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. A simple seven-word prayer. Interesting that he, he stands afar off. And he doesn't lift up his eyes. Our theme this week is to lift up our heads, isn't it? And we are to. To, to show our, our looking unto God for salvation. But there's also a time here for humility, like the casting down of the eyes. He's standing afar off. His, he's, his eyes are down. He's humbled himself. This is humility. I'm supposed to have shown this next slide, I think. Yeah, here we go. There, there's the two individuals. The one who's, who's all proud about himself and the other with his, his head bowed. Um, here's, here's the publican's prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Humility. Now it's really important that part of humility is to understand our own condition. And, and, and part of, of being humble, God be merciful to me, a sinner, is that acknowledgement, that, that confession that we are in fact sinners. It's very important. And if we need sort of uh, probably the best verse to go through for this would be over in Proverbs chapter 28. It's very clear that we can't go to our God proudful and, and, and full of ourselves and thinking that we're okay, that we have no need of repentance. We'll be left like those 99 sheep in the wilderness. And in Proverbs 28, it's, uh, it's put as clearly as you could have it. Verse 13 he that covers his sins shall not prosper. And uh, the, uh, the Pharisee that we had there, who was, who was boastful and, 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 uh, and telling about all the good things he'd done, was really covering his, his sins. He wasn't acknowledging them. He, he couldn't see them. He thought he was okay. He was trusting in his own righteousness. But here, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: he that covers his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's the, that's the process we need to work through. And, and that's where we see this, this public. And he knew he was, he was in a false position. He'd, he'd been compromised. He'd perhaps made mistakes. But he was willing to acknowledge it. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what? God lifted up his head. He cast it down. He, saw, he was humble. He confessed his sins. And God lifted up his head. Lifted up his head. Look at this. Verse 14, I'll tell you, this man, the man with a simple seven-word prayer, went home justified. And, and if you know anything about Bible words, and, and particularly trying to work this out in the English, remember in verse 9, these, he spoke to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Well, this is the same word, right, to be justified. We don't have an English word that would say he was righteousified. He was made righteous. Not because he was, but because he trusted in God's mercy. God made him righteous, declared him righteous because of his faith. So you see the contrast. There's the Pharisee trying to establish his own righteousness and trusting in his own righteousness. And he went home unjustified from God's perspective. And, and this, this second man, who didn't see himself as righteous, wasn't trusting in his own righteousness confessed his sin and, and threw himself at God's mercy. God be merciful to me, a sinner. He went home made righteous. That's the wonderful irony. And then this reversal. Everyone who exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbles himself 
shall be exalted. So the lesson is certainly to humility, is it not? Just flip back a page then to, to Luke 17. And I must admit, this is one of those parables that was challenging to me, that I kind of put together with the, the publican and, and the Pharisee, which is a more well-known parable, and I thought, okay, we can build on that. We'll you know, just touch here briefly in, in Luke 17, and it was a total reverse for me. Once, once I started looking at uh, Luke 17, I realized we wanted to spend the majority of our time here, and we wanted to conclude with it, not only for this class, but our series. The parable that, that Sam read for us begins in Luke 17, verse 7. And that's where I started reading. And I didn't get past the first word. Because the first word's but. But? How, how, can, how can you have a parable that starts there? So I said, well, it's got to somehow connect to the, to the rest of the chapter. You can't start with the word but. So we really need to read the first six verses before we can get into the parable of the unprofitable servants. So it starts with the word but. So let's go back. Verses 1 and 2 of Luke 17. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom the offenses come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And right away you're... If you're like me, you're staggered. I mean, this is, this is, this is serious language. Could, could Jesus have, um, have picked a more graphic way to demonstrate how serious this matter is? A millstone, we know that was used to grind the grain, massive great big thing, put on some sort of uh, rope or chain around your neck and thrown into the sea. That's, that's an astounding statement. So right away, he's got our attention. So he starts off saying, look, there's going to be offenses. There's going to be difficulties and trials. You're going to have someone do something against you that that grieves you deeply. Now, as far as the the one who brought that offense, they've got some serious issues. They they got, got, you know, this is uh, to offend one of the little ones. And this this isn't offend like, you know, I don't like the, you know, the color of your tie. Okay, that's not, we use the word offend very loosely like that, don't we? We're not talking about that. It really means to cause to stumble. If by our actions or our interactions with another, we cause them to stumble, to, to, to leave the truth or, or to be pushed that way, that's serious. And we've got to consider our interactions one, one to another. So, yes, for the person who brings the offense, serious issues. All right, and, and we, you know, we call these sort of, um, you know, millstone events. You know, that, that are of such consequence that they, they cause people to maybe question their standing before God. Perhaps like that unjust steward who cut down the bill. Oh, don't worry about the honor of your father or mother. Just give your money to the temple. You know, that, that's serious. And they're going to have to get that sorted out between them and God. But I think the other lesson here, brothers and sisters, is offenses are going to come. So as the receiver of that offense, you know, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? There's a sense in which you need to leave certain things to God, and we can't maybe understand how that's going to work itself out. But you're going to be offended. So he says in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves if your brother trespass against thee. Rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Okay. 
That's pretty clear. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee and say, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. You've got to be kidding me. Like seriously, seven times in a day? How could this be? Do you see how, how Jesus, he almost speaks in hyperbole to make his point. Millstones being cast into the sea. And here, seven times a day? Day after day? I mean, there's something wrong here. Surely, Jesus, you, you can't be serious. Is it any wonder in verse 5 that the apostles say, Lord, increase our faith. We can't handle that. It made me think, think of another place where Jesus spoke similarly. And let's, let's turn back to it. We're, we're familiar with it. It's in Matthew 18. We spoke on Monday in our talk on forgiveness. And you can see now why we're coming back to the same topic. Um, about the, 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 the parable of the two debtors. One 500 pence, one, one 50 pence. And okay, maybe, maybe it, there's days when you think you're only the 50 pence person. But, you know, that's dangerous to, to underestimate how much we've been forgiven. Matthew 18 leaves no doubt. We know Matthew 18 is the, is the, the process that the Lord gives us to work out um, difficulties amongst ourselves. And he says, look, the best place to start is between you and the individual. If someone's sinned against you in any way, go and talk about it. Talk to the person who offended you, not 15 other people about that person. Okay, go and do it. He says, ideally, that's the best way to solve a problem. And I know we've probably all had the experience where, boy, you do it and it works. <laughs> and, and, and the relationship is restored. Anyway, he goes through that. He says, look, you might have to take some people with you. It may get to the point where it has to be an ecclesial matter. But try and solve it as soon as possible. Nip it in the bud, if you will. So in verse 21, you've got to love Peter. He comes to the Lord and he says, you know, Lord, how, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Like, seven times? And I'm sure Peter's thinking to himself, like, I'm going over the top here, right? Like, seven times? I mean, surely, you couldn't expect more than that. The one we just read in Luke says seven times every day. But Peter's like, seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say unto thee, not until seven times, but until seventy times seven. The point is, that's like infinity. We, we, would, we would say infinity, infinite number of times. Like, seventy times seven was like, you know, this massive number. The point is, you're not meant to keep track. Right? Because if you've forgiven someone, then the next time they sin against you, it's the first time they have. Right? So you, ever, you never get past one. Right? You, you don't keep track. That, that's the whole point. And then he gives this parable. And it's not 500 pence and 50 pence. It's verse 24, 10,000 talents. You can do the calculations if you like. It's, it's basically... Um, like 60,000 days of work or something. It's just some phenomenal, if you go, so no, just working through a penny a day kind of principle. It's, it's this unpayable, it's, it's, it's impossible to repay, this debt, 10,000 talents. And of course, the person's forgiven from God. And they go out and they find a fellow servant who, is, who owes them, uh, what is it, 100 pence, which isn't insignificant, but compared to the 10,000 talents is. So if the 500 and the 50 are kind of like too close for you, Go with this one. An infinite number, unrepayable debt, which God has forgiven you, and this hundred pence between you and your brother. Increase our faith. Brothers and sisters, 
back in Luke 17. We're there with the apostles, aren't we? Lord, we're going to need help on this. Increase our faith. So what did he say to them? What was his response? If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. I don't want to get into the, the symbology and the, 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 I'm not, the, the point I want to take away from this one. They said, how could I possibly forgive my brother seven times every single day? Increase our faith, Lord. And he says, have faith as a grain of mustard seed. I took it from this. I took this from it. Have just a grain of mustard seed worth of faith, brethren and sisters, and watch it grow. Just try it. Just try it. Try forgiving someone. Watch it grow. Just try it here. Try it there. Just, just a grain of mustard seed. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's, there's situations in your life that are like just too big to handle right now. So start small. Start small. And Jesus promises you that if you, if you trust him, if you put into practice the principles that he has here, it'll grow and you will learn to forgive. It'll, 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 instead of a root of bitterness that grows up inside you, it'll be a root of faith and trust and forgiveness and love. And then we come to our parable. So the connection, the context here is, is interaction amongst brethren. And it has to do with forgiveness. And um, I found this, and I can't even remember the commentary that I, I got it from. So we'll just read it. So we're, we're talking about, this was a comment on the, uh, the, the parable of the unprofitable servants. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, the unprofitable servants. He says, the connection to the subsequent parable... So starting at verse 7, is, uh, here is, When your faith has been so increased as to both avoid and forgive offenses, thus by faith doing the impossible, don't be puffed up as though you laid the Lord under any obligations to you. The context is offenses that came. We need to learn to, to not give offense, to not be offensive in that sense, but also to forgive and it's going to take a grain of mustard seed worth of faith that will grow. But, but even, even if you've been able to do that, don't get puffed up. Puffed up. That's the irony. Eh? Have you heard the same in, the statement, you know, so, I'm, so, I'm proud of how humble I am. Right? It, it's obviously an oxymoron. Okay, so, so I think that's the wonderful connection. We have conferred no favor. We have merited nothing. We have not benefited God by this life of clear of offenses and, and being forgiven. We've not laid him under any obligation. If he rewards us, it will be a matter of unmerited favor. This is the true relation to Christians. That's the follow-on quote there from, from that one. I, and I thought it was valuable. So with that in mind, with that background, let's read the parable again. Verse 7. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, or right away, when he comes in from the field, go and sit down to meet? Who's going to say that to their, to their servant? Oh, you've worked hard in the field. Time for you to have some dinner. No, no, no. He will rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup. This is the master. Gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt drink. Doth he thank the servant? Because he did these things that were commanded him? I don't think so. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded of you, say, we are unprofitable servants. 
We have done that which was our duty to do. We've only done what we've been asked. We're unprofitable servants. So you see the connection then, hopefully, to humility. Now notice Jesus makes this very personal, doesn't he? Which one of you, having a servant, would react this way? So you're put in the, in the position of being the one with the servant. And obviously this would be a natural thing. Our servant comes in, he's worked all day, we've done whatever we've done all day, we want to eat first, we're the master, and they're going to serve us, and then maybe they'll get around to being able to having some sort of dinner themselves. That's what would, would come naturally. Hopefully in our dealings with one, one another, brethren and sisters, we, we wouldn't act that way. But what's the connection to this unprofitable servant parable? The context is forgiveness. That's what it's about. And I should also say not causing offense such that you need to be forgiven. To practice forgiveness and to go out of your way to avoid giving offense is going to be humbling. It's part of the process. You see, it's part of our, our walk. That's part of our discipleship. It's impossible, but that offenses will come. God allows these situations to come into our life. In fact, we mentioned to the young people when we were here in December, um, how about this for a paradigm shift? A situation comes into your life where someone does something that, that hurts you, trespasses against you, and you just say to yourself, wow, that's great. I'm so glad that happened to me because now I get to act like God and forgive him or her. It gives me an opportunity to be Christ-like. This trial, this difficulty, this offense that's been caused. And so instead of, of um, being debilitated by it, we're actually empowered by it because it gives us, gives us an opportunity to manifest the characteristics of, of God, our Father, merciful, long-suffering, and so on. And if we do this, brothers and sisters, it will be humbling. When it says in verse um, 10 there, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do, the context of the parable is what we're doing is forgiving people. That's the context. That which we have done is to forgive others. And after we've done everything, we have to acknowledge that we're still unprofitable servants. All we've done, our Lord asked us to forgive others, forgive them as help me to you know, forgive them their trespasses as you forgive me. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Now we've just been asked to do it. And at the end of the day we say, well, I really don't, or I haven't earned anything. I don't, God owes me nothing. All I've done is done what I've uh, been asked to do. We're still undeserving of eternal life. And it's in the context of being servants, brothers and sisters. We can never feel like God owes us something. The duty in this context is for, to forgive our brethren and to serve them. We're servants after all. Remember we talked about that earlier. How can, we, how can we show our thanksgiving to our Lord? How can we wash his feet? That's where we started the week together. We do it by serving others. You've done it unto the least of these, my brethren. And the context is, as we've said, not giving offense and forgiving others. If we're having trouble to forgive someone... If we have, or we're struggling with this in our life, the parable here would, to suggest, would suggest to you that you should practice serving them, esteeming them better than yourselves. Would that be hard to do? 
Oh, yes, it would be very hard to do. It would be humbling, and it would get us into the frame of mind and to the, the attitude and, and, and the, the place we need to be for God to work with us. This passage came to my mind. This is probably many of your uh, favorite passages. Often people say that it is Micah 6, verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Now, some translations, and, and I tend to like them, that last little phrase says, humble yourself to walk with God. Which is, again, a little counterintuitive. You think, you know, to walk with God, well, that's, you know, that's proudful. I need to exalt myself. I would kind of get to his level. No. Humble yourself to walk with God. And yes, we have to do what's right. We have to do justly. We have to avoid giving of offense. We have to really look to the other person and esteem them better than ourselves and, and not do anything that would, would hinder their walk in the truth. Absolutely. But we also have to love mercy. I know that's hard. I don't know, some people have, have been, been really challenged by the, you know, the behavior of others. But if you love mercy, you'll look for an opportunity and, and provide means by which they can say their story. And you can welcome them back like that, that, that father welcoming back the lost son. Don't make it difficult. Make it easy for them to, to come back, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Why is humility so important, brothers and sisters? Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's absolutely a vital characteristic. Because if we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. If we exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled. There's no other way. You're either exalting yourself or you're humbling yourself. There's no kind of like, well, I'm kind of in the middle somewhere, so I'll kind of end up in the middle somewhere. There's no middle. There's two men. There's two ways. There's humbling yourself and being exalted, or there's exalting yourself and being humbled. There is no other way. So we've got to understand how important humility is. It involves practicing humility. It involves practicing forgiveness. It involves loving mercy and walking with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 6. We had that, that wonderful devotional the other day about let there be light and God shining, that wonderful parable that we have really in creation. The literal creation, yes, but God shining in, into, into darkness and, and into our ruined lives and, and our empty lives and filling it up. And here it is, verse 6, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give, us, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's, that's us. Each one of us here have, have experienced God's light shining in our lives. And, and without that light, we would be utter darkness. But look at verse 7. But we have this treasure, this wonderful hope, this knowledge in earthen vessels. We are earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. See, that's the point. We have to humble ourselves that God may be exalted. Oh, we have to be busy and we have to be doing things. You know, the, the, the passage in Matthew 5 about uh, letting your light shine that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the point. God has to receive the glory, not us. We have to understand that we're earthen vessels and that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Flip over a few more pages. Um, this is a classic one. 
uh, 2 Corinthians 12. Can you imagine Paul and all the things that he accomplished in his life? And he says, God, I'd be able to do so much more if you just gave me, got rid of this thorn of the flesh. We're not sure what it was. Some sort of di- uh, disability of some sort. And he's like, I'd be able to serve you so much better. I'd be able to do so much more. Do you see his appeal there? Look in verse 7. Well, let's, let's read... Um, Well, let's pick it up in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that were given unto me, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul saw this experience, and and we've all got to see what our thorn in the flesh, if you will, is. It might be something physical. physical. It might be another person in our lives that we just like, oh, if that person would just go away. And God's allowed that to happen here. Here, actually, um, Paul's appealing to, to, to Jesus. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Have you felt that? You've maybe tried more than three times. But what's the message? He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, in humility. Humble yourself, Paul. It's okay. I know what I'm doing. It shouldn't hinder your service. Keep giving me all you got, despite the thorn in the flesh. And look at Paul's response. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If I'm out there trusting in myself, I'm in danger. I'm going to fall. Take heed, he who thinks he stands, lest he falls. Trust in God. The key is humility. As this parable shows, the parable in Luke 17 of unprofitable servants. We are unprofitable servants. We have to see ourselves that way. And you know what? If we feel that way about ourselves, how could we ever mistreat another servant? If we're exalting others and esteeming them better than ourselves and see ourselves as unprofitable servants, all we've done is what's been asked of us. We've simply been asked to forgive others, to show our thankfulness to the Lord for his, his, uh, his mercy and his forgiveness by serving others, by forgiving others, the least of his brethren. How could we ever mistreat them? How could we ever despise them and say, I'm glad I'm not like that guy because I do all these other things? We'd never find ourselves in that situation. It's all about attitude. And we need to practice it in little things. You know, do we expect thanks when we, when we do things? And are we offended when, when people don't thank us for the things that we do? Do we ever consider going above and beyond the call of duty or, you know, going that extra, uh, extra mile? Or do we think, well, no one appreciates what I do anyway, so we, you know, I'll do the minimum. What's our attitude in service? In the, the parable of the unprofitable servants, they've been out working all day, and they come in and they still do more work, and they work and work and work, and they don't think of it. They don't expect thanks. In fact, they're busy thanking their master. Lord, we're, we're so thankful that we can just work in your service. And all that Abigail approach, all I want to do is wash this, the feet of your servants, she said to David. This phrase, we've done only that which is our duty to do, my mind thought of, of, of a, few, um, a few other, and there's many examples. I, I, I picked these ones. David in the Psalms, Psalm 16, verse 2. O my soul, you have said unto the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. It's a bit awkward in the, in the King James. If you have a King James, you may want to make, just make a note to, to check an alternate translation. My goodness is nothing apart from you. In other words, whatever I do, 
and, and whatever fruits that I have. We're, we are to produce fruit. We have to produce fruit. We have to have good works that others see. But the glory goes to God. My goodness is nothing apart from you, said David. Solomon, 1 Chronicles twenty nine fourteen. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given unto thee. It's like those talents we've received, or that pound that we've received. It was our Lord's in the first place. If we've been able to, to busy ourselves in the truth and, and reproduce that, you know, some 60, some 30, some, some hundredfold, it was all God's in the first place. What an amazing attitude. We're just unprofitable servants. We've only done our duty. All the glory goes to you, Lord. You've done it all. We're just, we're just an instrument in your hand, and we're, we're thankful to be so. In Romans chapter 11, 33 to 36, um, Paul says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What a... What a a liberating feeling, really, isn't it? To know that it's not about you. You don't have to worry. You're counting the cost of that tower, but you don't have to finish it on your own. You've got help. You're a race to You don't have to run it on your own. You've got help. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, says Paul. And so we need to be humble. And we can help each other so much, you know, if, if we demonstrate humility to one to another, that whole rivalry and competition can just vanish. In fact, our humility can be contagious. And I, you've probably had that experience in, in the presence of someone who is humble, even though they are great, potentially. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he knew that all things had been given into his hand, laid aside his clothes, girded himself with a towel, and washed his disciples' feet. And he said... I'm your Lord and your Master. That's what you call me. And you, you say, well, if I've done this, your Lord and your Master, how much more ought you not to wash one another's feet? And he did that when he knew all things had been given into his hand. And, and that, that humility is just infectious, isn't it? You, you don't feel like uh, boasting at that point or lording it over someone else. Humility. Let's just conclude and go back and revisit this parable in Luke, in Luke 17. And this astounds me, and I think it's such a fitting way to conclude our, our studies around the, the, parable, the parables of our Lord this week. The parables are so rich with meaning, and, and, and they teach us so much about the Lord Jesus Christ himself, don't they? And out of our, out of our relationships with each other and with him. You remember in this parable it said, which one of you, having a servant, work in the field and come in is going to then allow him to eat. No, no, no. Serve me first. And you know what, brothers and sisters, that's, that's appropriate for us as the servants to understand that we are unprofitable servants. The master in the parable said, you serve me, and then maybe you can have a, a chance later. You know what? We don't serve a master like that. The wonderful thing about our master 
who's asked us to take his yoke upon him, who's asked us to take up his his cross and follow him. But he's there with us, and he's helping us along the way. He says, my burden is easy. And I'd just like to conclude. Well, you can turn over to, if you like, in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 12. We've got it on the screen in a minute. Just I want you to think about this and really just let this sink in. The master in the parable is not our master. Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Can you even read these words? Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. That's our master. When he says, behold, it's my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You've been faithful over just a few things. You've been working in the field. Now it's time for celebrating. You sit down. I'm going to serve you. That's just remarkable, brethren and sisters. That's our master. Jesus, the master, will ask us to sit down and will come and serve us. That's the kind of master we serve, brothers and sisters. How could we not give our lives in total dedication to such a one as that? Thank you.